it was dot-com time. So we're betting on all these tech stocks and frankly, everybody's making money, right? And I'm sitting there going, well, should we get out? And I, I'll be honest, I wasn't getting a lot of advice. I'll be honest with that. Mm. I wasn't. So I'm kind of watching it and thinking, oh, you know what? This is already tripled. And if this doubles, it's 150 grand each. And, you know, when that happens, they're not only going to have money for college. They're going to have money for a first house. They're going to be set, right? Not right. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I bet you're exposed to investment risk right now. To reduce it, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist I've made specifically for you, my podcast listeners, based on the lessons I've learned from all of my Guess. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Jeff Niswich. Jeff, are you ready to rock? I am ready, Andrew. This is uh, exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we first met through another guy that I've interviewed, Frank Hagen, and that I just was so impressed as I, as I, we were talking about before about what Frank's doing and you know, all that. So hats off to Frank, but maybe I'll tell the audience a little bit about you and then let's dig in a little bit more. So, all right. Yep. So Jeff is known as a snow globe shaker who's on a mission to help people shift how they lead and thereby shift their leadership impact. He's an international speaker and personal transformation coach known for his unique perspectives, challenging traditional thinking, and delivering tangible shifts for leaders to grow their people, build their businesses, and enhance their relationships. Jeff's the founder of the Niswitch Group, a speaking, consulting, and coaching company, and co-founder of Cartavera, a leadership development ecosystem that grows leaders and their impact. He also co-hosts the Leadership Junkies podcast. So listen up, folks. Jeff has published four leadership and business books, including his most recent, Just One Step, Walking Backwards to the Present on the Camino Trail. Jeff, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Well, since probably people are wondering what the heck is a snow globe shaker, I'll give you the short version. Never thought about snow globes until about three or four years ago. I was standing on a stage speaking and this metaphor of snow globes hit me. And I thought, well, I should just share it. I did. People seem to like it and it has now become a brand. I'm known as a snow globe shaker. And what it's really about is I always have one close by, right? And I started thinking about snow globes and snow globes exist for a singular purpose, to be shaken. That's why they exist. Otherwise, there would not be liquid in here, right? So, so then for, I the started, listeners, for the listeners out there, Jeff's <laughs> holding up a globe that has something, an ornament or something inside, and then it's got a lot of flakes and liquid. And I think when he shakes it up, we've all seen now that, you know, the flakes all come, you know, swirling around. Am I correct? Exactly. And that's what it's supposed to do. Otherwise, like I said, it'd be a piece of art that had no liquid. But what I found out is people tell me, well, I don't ever shake my snow globe. And the reason is because it's good enough as it is. As you see, it's really pretty. It's got dragonflies in it. 
So things are pretty enough, but the magic happens when we shake it, right? I'm shaking mm -hmm. it right now. That's the point is to shake it. And I realized that's the same thing we need to do in our leadership, in our lives, our relationships, and, and inside ourselves. We have to shake things up, but we also have to make a shift because when you shake a snow globe, everything swirls around and it looks pretty. But when all is said and done, nothing changed mm. on the inside. The snow is in a different place, but it doesn't look any different. So the change is we've got to shake things, but we've actually got to shift things, like shift our perspective, shift our actions, shift our thinking. And so now I go around and almost every time I speak, I talk about how we need to shake things up. And I will say this, a lot of people in the last year have challenged me and said, Jeff, I can tell you right now, I don't need any more shaking during 2020 and during the pandemic. And I said, actually, you're wrong, because actually when things are chaotic around you, when you're being shaken up externally, it's even more important to shake internally, because otherwise you're getting bounced around by the world. And I can tell you, I haven't been bounced around much in the last year, even though I've had ups and downs, because I've been shaken. I've mm. been shaking up my business, my thinking, my everything. So that's why Snow Globe Shaker, and I'll just close with this to pique people's interest. I've had an interesting journey because I began my career as a lawyer, did that for 17 years, including having my own firm. And now I'm a speaker, coach, author. And people say, how the hell did you do that? How did you go from here to there? They seem so different. And they are. I'm not here to tell you they're the same. They're very different. But it's all about bumps, bruises, learning from failure, and trusting your gut and following the instinct inside me versus trying to figure it out. So that's a short version of it. Yeah, that's, uh, I didn't put it together about the snow globe shaker. And now <laughs> I get it, you know, and, um, you know, I think that a lot of us, you know, what is the nature of a human maybe is to, to cause our life to be secure, comfortable. And what is the reality of life? life doesn't work that way. And, you know, I taking care of my mother as she's, you know, gotten older, my father passed away. You know, there's no way anybody would have predicted that my mother would be 82 years old and be living in Bangkok, Thailand. Wow. It's just impossible that anybody would have ever predicted that. And the point is also, as you get older, particularly as you get elderly, you start to lose control of, you start to lose the ability to control your environment and your situation. And, you know, it can be it's obviously very disrupting for, for everybody. You know, I know it's disrupting for my mom, but the point is, is that what's that song? I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose oh, garden. <laughs> and, you know, that's what mom used to say to me too, you know, like, yeah, nobody's promised you a rose garden out there and life's tough. And so I think what I take away from what you're talking about is the willingness to accept the fact that you're either going to shake yourself up or let the world shake you up. You've got a choice, one or the other, but you don't have the choice of, I don't want to be shaken up. Exactly. That is, you just said it better than I think I've ever said it. And those choices, that's exactly what the choice is. And one of the things I love about the metaphor that came to me later is you talked about how we live our life safe and secure. 
the metaphor from the snow globe is because I can stand in front of an audience and shake it. And I'll say, what does it start to do as soon as I stop shaking? And they all scream out, it starts to settle. I said, exactly. (laughs) And that's what we do in my life, my relationships, my business, and in my finances as well. I settle for comfortable. Mm. Before we go into the big question, I just want to do a little shout out to Frank. And just maybe you could just mention about, you know, how you heard of Frank or how you met Frank and how did that come about? And then uh, we'll get into the question. Absolutely. Cause it's a cool story. I'll do it in reverse order. About four or five months ago, I saw someone on LinkedIn named Berta Medina, Berta Medina Garcia. I was intrigued by her profile. I reached out and I said, Hey, I'm Jeff. Can we connect? She said, yes. I said, can we talk? We got on a call. It was lovely. She's an amazing person, a coach herself. And she said, do you know about this hub, this networking group? And I said, no, what is it? She tells me a little bit. And I said, love to come on there. And I said, well, who runs it? And she said, well, I sort of help, but there's this guy, Frank from Ohio who started it. And I lived in Ohio for 35 years. And when she said, Frank, I said, is it Frank Egan? She said, oh my God, how do you know Frank? I said, I met him 20 years ago. I've known him loosely ever since, but never met him in person to this day because I lived in Cleveland. He lived in Columbus. We had related businesses. So it's kind of funny to get on there and say, hey, Frank, you remember me? The world is just so small despite the billions of us. Yeah. And so for the listeners out there, my interview with Frank was episode 287. And I was really I really liked Frank, but what I liked even more was he reached out after the show to invite me into the networking hub where, you know, I just didn't really know what to expect. And as I said, I'm kind of on the other side of the world, so I don't really know how I plug into that. But now once a month, every Thursday, I've done it twice now that I've called in and, you know, I've met people like yourself and others through there. And I just really, I really like what he's doing. And so for those people, that are interested in networking and learning more about networking. You can just learn more about networking by observing Frank, you know, go to episode 287, all the links to contact him are in the show notes there and, you know, get into it. So. Well, he's got a giver's heart for sure. And I have to, what I'm I'm chuckling at Andrew is I was about to correct you on the day that because you said Thursday said, Oh wait, he's in Bangkok. I'm in Tampa, Florida. Yes. You're wow. Yeah. Exactly. It's my Thursday morning. Right. (laughs) And by the way, to the people out there, this is a great example of how give, give, give. Frank only gave. He's never asked me for anything. But because he gave so well, here we are talking about him. And that shows that when people give, people want to give back and they want to help. And so it's just evidence right there. So I think the challenge, we'll call it the Frank Egan challenge to <laughs> you today, listeners, is give of yourself today to one person, to some people around you. Just give. Ask nothing in return. And you'll be amazed. And if you did that on a regular basis like Frank does, then you're going to be talked about all around the world. Boom. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio to Bangkok, Thailand. Amazing. All right. Well, now it's time to get in to your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, 
tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, well, as we were talking before we got on the air, Andrew, I realized when we sat down today, I had planned to talk about a business investment. And then I realized I started thinking about a financial investment and they're close in time. And I realized sitting here just 20 minutes ago that the driver for both, the cause of both was really the same. So the financial investment was I made the investment back in the mid 90s. And what happened was my father sold his business and he and my mom, my mom was a part owner. They gave stock in the company to the grandchildren before Mm. the sale. And it was intended for college. They set them up in college education, education trust. And the intention was that that money would grow. They'd sell the company and they, you know, would grow. And then they'd be able to pay for their college because the kids, my kids were the oldest grandchildren. So let's say they're, when this happened, they were four or five, my kids, and right. some grad kids weren't born, so they got theirs later. So anyway, so when the company sells, now there's money, right? And it's up to me to administer it. And I I went to a guy that I didn't know well, but was getting to know him, and he actually knew my father and said, here, you handle this. And this was back in the late 90s and into early 2000. And the people that remember that was the market went crazy. And what happened was, in a really good way in the beginning, so you haven't heard a bad investment yet. Mm. The investment is, I'll give you the spoiler alert here. Yep. The issue wasn't the investment. It was the failure to get out of the market. It's a sell. And mm. so the stock was going crazy. I mean, I think we started with $10,000 a child, maybe. And this money got up to like 75,000. And we were, it was dot com time. So we're betting on all these tech stocks. And frankly, everybody's making money, right? And I'm sitting there going, well, should we get out? And I'll be honest, I wasn't getting a lot of advice. I'll be honest with them. Mm. I wasn't. So I'm kind of watching it and thinking, oh, you know what? This is already tripled. And if this doubles, it's 150 grand each. And, you know, when that happens, they're not only going to have money for college, they're going to have money for a first house. They're going to be set, right? Not right. That Mm. was the thinking though. And so what happened was the market started to tumble and then ultimately crashed, especially the the dot-com bubble, the tech stocks. And I will tell you, for a long time, I blamed the advisor. Because I will say this, I can say this in terms of some responsibility. During the time, he never called me once, Mm -hmm. not once. And what I believe happened was he didn't (laughs) know what to say, didn't know what to do. And so as I watched it tumble, I just kept saying, doing the thing, well, it'll come back. It'll come back. And it never did. And by the time we needed the money, you know, we had made some money. The bottom line is, the kids did not have enough money to pay for college. Mm. Now that means I've paid for some of that. They've got some loans that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And so, Mm. yes, there was a failure of communication from the advisor, certainly a failure of advice. I think my opinion is he hid. He was newer at it. And, you know, in a, in a hot market, everybody makes money. (laughs) Everybody can make, everybody's a winner. But when I look at the behavior that led to that was not just the communication. There's, it's the gambler in me. 
I wasn't making financial decisions. I was making gambling decisions. Mm. And it was sort of like when you get, you know, if you're at a craps table or a blackjack table and you're on a roll and you think, just keep doubling, just keep doubling. This table's hot. And, and, and Yeah, just keep hitting that thing. You're, it's a hot hand, right? And so I had a gambler's mindset, not an investor's mindset. And what I and I'm also something someone who doesn't give up easily, which can be a positive, can also be a huge weight when you come to investments. So that happened in 2001, right around there. Mm. And at the same time, that same year, I started a new business which involved me buying a franchise. And I will tell you that franchise investment did not work out. I can't say a lot about it because there's a confidentiality agreement. But that was a bad investment. But the real investment issue was as the company got started, it didn't start well. And frankly, it was a lot of failure on my part, but the combination of the bad decision with the franchise or lack of support, and I wasn't working the business the way I needed to, the business starts tanking. I mean, it never went anywhere and I'm just throwing money in it. So I'm investing by throwing money, which is back to that gambler's mindset. Like when you start losing hands, what do you do? You start doubling down. And so I had a gambler's mindset with the money going into my business, not a business builder's mindset, which I have today because I learned some really hard lessons. I mean, not just bumps and bruises, but broken bones, mm. and huge, huge bottoms in the financial impact. But it took me forever to finally pull out and say enough. By the time I had done that, the hole was so deep. I remember talking to people saying, oh my God, Jeff, this hole is so deep. How'd you do it? And I said, I, I don't give up easily. <laughs> like that positive trait. So the big takeaway for me, even sitting here today, is how they're related and how in both I had a gambler's mindset, mm. investor's mindset, and how my persistence turned into, what's the right word for it? Stubbornness. Right. And my strategy became hope, not a real strategy. So there's a lot in there. But, you know, here I am 2021. I learned so much from that to yeah. avoid it, how to make better decisions, how to be in, a, you know, the game, all of that. But I'll tell you, that was a that was ultimately a really difficult seven to nine years. Yep. Yep. Because that was the ripple effect of that. Those not poor investments. I mean, they were, but it was really how I managed the investments going forward. So for the sake of the listener, you've told a you know, great story that really does illustrate a lot of stuff. I've made a lot of notes for my kind of summarization of it. But could you summarize what were the lessons that you learned? Yeah. So one is a lesson that doesn't seem like it's about investments, but it is. You heard me say the gambler's mindset. Over the years, including from that, I have learned that I have an addictive personality when it comes to gambling. I don't make good decisions. I think it's a lot of fun, but I don't make good decisions with gambling. I'm one who will stay in too long. I will lose money. I mean, I can tell you there's times I've been to Vegas, which I don't go there a lot anymore. I don't really like it. And it's not a good idea. I've been the guy that went to the ATM. And said, all I need, 
you know, all I need. And so one thing is to learn about myself and some of my, my addictive behaviors towards that. I like the thrill of it. So I have to be really careful with that. I mean, I've even seen that show up with things like back in the day when I was trying to sell things on eBay mm. or the auctions, like trying to buy things. And I was like the thrill of the unknown. So I'm a bit of a thrill seeker, not in adventure sports or things, but in like that gambling mindset. So one is I need to be really self-aware and catch myself when I'm going in that space. Number one, number two is that how easily I can go to hope as a strategy. And I do that. I learned back then I did it because I wanted things to be really good, whatever I thought good meant, which was financial results. And I would go, I would hope for the best. I was always trying to make a big killing. There it is. There's another lesson I just realized. I was always trying to go for the big hit. Hit the uh, home the run. Stocks, I want I want to grow. Oh, I, not a home run. I want a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth in the World <laughs> Series to win game seven. <laughs> Absolutely, because I did it in the business. I did it in those investments. There's some other investments I won't even go into over the years where I wanted to, like I had a friend who was starting a business. He said, this thing's going to, you know, you're going to make 50 times this. Well, I didn't even get my money back. Yeah, but I was always looking for the the elephant. The big win, yeah. Because I would, you know what it is. Bottom line, Andrew, I would feel better about myself mm. by getting a big win. So a lot of this and a lot of this work I'm describing now, I've done over the last ten years. The last ten years of my life has been a deep dive into myself. Yep. To understand what are my insecurities, what are my worthiness questions, because all of those were feeding these decisions. If I took away the gambling mindset and not a, the hope as a strategy, the persistence that becomes stubbornness. If you took all of those away, the bottom of all of this is me being insecure, not feeling good enough and feeling without knowing that I was doing it. I need to have huge success. I've got to hit those home runs. So I feel better about myself. And I never knew that was happening 20 years ago. Now I see it and catch it partly because I don't have the beliefs anymore, but those beliefs were driving all of these decisions. And I will say as a coach, my experience is that almost everybody struggles with some version of that. And there, the behaviors might look different, but there's going to be a core foundation of some lack of belief in themselves. You know, when I, uh, when I invite people on the show, you know, at first they're taken aback because they don't want to talk about their losers. But I think <laughs> what I tell them and what I tell the audience is that Jeff has just given us an illustration of why he is a valuable coach, why he is somebody that can help people. And that's because he's able to identify his mistakes and learn from them. And, you know, it is ultimately the pain of these mistakes that really brings the value that that you bring to relationships as well as to business relationships so i just want to encourage you know the the listeners out there to get in touch with jeff and we'll have everything in the show notes and listen into his podcast and you know reach out to him because you know he's willing to be sincere about about that so i just wanted to highlight that before i get into some of my takeaways i i wrote down a few things so the first thing is that you know, we have something called dollar cost averaging and dollar cost averaging is, you know, putting in a little about amount every month. 
the beauty of dollar cost averaging is it, it kind of it avoids this type of situation by just saying, well, I'm putting a little bit up in when it's high and I'm putting a little bit in when it's low. So it's going to average out. But the problem that we often face in investing is what is kind of the lump sum challenge. And that is when you get a lump sum, do you put it all in the market right now or not? And that's really the challenge I think that we're all you know, facing when we get a situation like yours. And when we don't know much about the market, then it gets even harder. And so one of the things that I think is important for people to, to, to handle the lump sum situation is just to understand where the market is. And that's sometimes, you know, you, you don't have to be an expert at forecasting the future. Just think about where the market is. And I got, I opened up a chart while you were talking and I just wanted to highlight, nobody can see it except me. I'm not sharing it, but it's just that it's a price to earnings ratio and the price to earnings ratio in the US in particular is now two standard deviations above its mean going back to 2006. If we go back further, it may be a little bit less than two standard deviations, but it's at about 23 times forward earnings. That's very high PE. So the reason why I raise that is because if you, the listener, are in a situation where you've recently received some cash and you've been thinking about putting that in the market just as Jeff did, use that as information to say, slow down, Maybe put in a little bit of it, maybe put in half of it, you know, work that out yourself, but know where we are in the market. That's my first follow-up or let's say takeaway. The second one is, well, the thing about it, I also want to give advice to people who are listening, who are financial people, which I know there's a lot of those listening because I'm in the financial world and you've heard it right here from a client that he didn't get any communication. And I challenge you know, anybody who's managing other people's money that you should be having a regular communication, you know, probably monthly, let's say, but quarterly is okay. And the worst case is consistently on an annual basis, you should have that communication. Pick your time that suits you and suits your client, but have that communication. And you can see that that's pretty valuable. And I'd say the other thing about the financial advisor is that, you know, I'm not ageist. I'm not going to say that you should not use a younger financial advisor, but I would say, look for financial advisors that have less hair on their head. Now, I'm just kidding there, but I'm just saying that a financial advisor who's been through a lot of ups and downs may actually be better at communicating and be better at, you know, understanding that. And those are some thoughts, some of my takeaways. I had some more stuff, but I think I'm going to leave it at that and, and ask if you have any uh, thoughts on those. No, I, you know, I, I know some of those things and didn't do any of those things. And I think that, you know, I mentioned it, the thing that's so hard, like even last year, my take, cause I'm not, a, I'm not an advisor. I'm not an expert. I don't follow the market. I dabble. But when I look at 2020 and everybody's going, well, we're, we're making all this money. I said, well, everybody's making money. I did really well in the market last year, but I don't consider mm. myself smart. I mean, it was last year, 2020, it was actually hard to lose money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly. And so, you know, people that talk about their returns, one thing I know now is to look over the long haul of their returns. And I think what you said is really important. It isn't about age. Age factors into it only because of the reality of talking to people who've been through some different markets. And I would say this, I had a younger advisor 
I don't think I, I know there's nothing ill will in this, but I do look at the organization and say, I wonder where they were because I think what can happen in life is when things go bad, we we are afraid to talk to people. And that is the most important time to talk because when you said at least once a year, but even that stuff happened over like six months. Mm, You know, I lost, went from whatever the number was, probably lost 60 to 70% of the value in six months and not one single phone call. It's ultimately my responsibility. It's not about abdicating, but if he had called me, we could talk about it and maybe give me some input. But I think what happens is some people, some advisors across industries, though, when things go bad, we go quiet. Mm. And that just cannot be our answer. Just cannot be. Yeah, it's a great point is that, I mean, that's part of maturity also is the idea that when things are tough, that's the time that you need to communicate. And that's the time that you least want to communicate in a lot of cases. But I think that's a, a great lesson. So now, next question. Based upon what you learned from this experience and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? If I'm going with a single thing, and it's kind of a big one, I would say really get honest with yourself and know yourself. And I would take this beyond financial decisions. The starting point for that is take a look at the patterns in your life. I don't care how old you are. Look for the patterns that probably don't serve you. And a great way to ask that is to say to yourself really simply, I wish I was more this and I wish I was less this. And then look at that and there's probably going to be a pattern because you don't name something you've only done once. Mm. Then you find the pattern and say, so what might cause me to engage in that pattern? And it's going to be about you. It's not external. That's the way we can start to learn about ourselves because what I believe is whatever I believe inside myself is going to show up in every part of my life. It's going to show up in my finances, in my leadership, in my career, in my raising kids, in my relationships, even in my friendships. So find those patterns and start to get honest with yourself because if you can address that, you're going to address a lot of the other. And then then we layer on all the kind of tools that we're talking about, a lot of the tools Andrew's talking about, vital tools, mindsets, all those things. But here's the thing. If you have, you got the dollar cost averaging mindset, you get it. However, if I've got a belief like I did, that is I need, without knowing, I need the big win I'm going to ignore that mindset. I'm going to ignore Mm -hmm. what's a good decision and think this is a good decision. So know thyself. Mm. A borrow from the physicians. There's that old saying, physicians heal thyself. Yeah. People heal thyself first. It'll solve a lot of issues. It's great. I mean, I often tell young people that the, the number one person that's going to cause the most amount of trouble in your life is you. You know, it's like, and so I was thinking about, I always laugh about the movie Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey. And there's a scene where he goes into the bathroom and he wants to show that he's been beaten up. So he's slamming his head against the wall and putting his head in the toilet and cramming it. And then the guy goes, what the hell are you doing? And he says, I'm kicking my ass. And I think to myself, don't kick your own ass, you know, like take it easy on yourself. And, you know, those patterns, I think, spotting them. And, you know, there's another way to spot them. 
And that is to ask people that you trust around you, what are some of the negative patterns that you see that I do that you think, you know, I ought to stop, you know, and I know one of them for me that my business partners say is, you know, you don't realize how great you can be. Exactly. Right. That doesn't, that feels humble, doesn't it? How could that be negative? Yeah. It's just like, I'm I'm, I'm punching below my weight. You know, it's just so many things. And I think I grew up, you know, we both grew up in Ohio and I grew up in little Hudson, Ohio. And all I can think of, you know, there was a, a great, a great songwriter there named Alex Bevan. And he had a song called I'm a skinny little boy from Cleveland, Ohio, come to chase your women and drink your beer. Well, I always saw myself as a skinny little kid from Cleveland, Ohio, and I didn't see myself as the person that I grew up to be and the person I could be. And I think that they reminded me of that. And so, you know, there's so many lessons from this discussion. So I really appreciate that. You remember that song? I do. I do. And I also thank you for the reminder of Liar Liar, because I remember that scene, but I never thought of it in that context. Because most people would watch it and say, well, good God, I'd never do that. And yet, in some way, most of us are doing that every day. I think you need to put it in your next presentation. Put that clip in. I think I am. I I have. I've met a metal note, Andrew. That's that's one of my big takeaways. Other than, like, I learned a thousand things just talking to you about what really happened. No, I think I'll use that one. Well, there's one last thing that I do want to highlight before we, we go to the next question. And that is, there also is a great you know, rock and roll icon that came from Cleveland, Ohio. He never really made it on the international stage. And in some ways you can say he didn't make it on the national stage. And many other rock icons have even said he should have been out there, but his name was Michael Stanley of the Michael, Michael Stanley, Stanley band. And he's recently passed away. Oh, Happened, he did? Yep, just recently. And so I think we should dedicate this episode to Michael Stanley and his music. I did not know he had passed away. He is an icon. In fact, I grew up in Ohio like you. I went to college in Ohio. I remember him playing at my little college. But to me, I would leave Ohio and tell, talk about Michael Stanley. People said, who are you talking about? Nobody knew Michael Stanley. But in Ohio, Michael Stanley was like the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And there's, I've read some interviews where people were saying that they just couldn't figure out why he couldn't break through. And many other acts and, and great people that knew him, that he was a great songwriter, but he couldn't break through nationally. But ladies and gentlemen, I challenge you to go on YouTube and type in two words, Rosewood Bitters. Just type those two words in, Rosewood Bitters. And up will come the song that he wrote called Rosewood Bitters, which was also played by Joe Walsh and others. But just listen to that. He did a rendition of that a few years back from his basement. And I listened to that. Of course, I like the original more, but if you don't end up in tears listening to that, I just don't know. You don't have a heart. All right. It's an amazing song. Yeah. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I love that. And I actually have one. So my number one goal is to launch. I'm going to use the word because launch is just the beginning. Launch and caused to thrive two new programs I created out of COVID. One is a program called Growth, which is a peer-to-peer mentoring and, and with coaching with it. There's a lot of groups like that in the world, but what makes this unique is 
a lot of things, but one is it's entirely holistic. Nearly all of those groups emphasize business growth, but they have conversations about personal growth. This is going to be people who say they get it. They realize they're their biggest obstacle. So we're going to work on business strategy and we're going to work on self-growth strategy at the same time and accelerate them together, a multiplier effect with some different size businesses as well. That, and I'm also, I've created a program called Be a Man, which is for men only. And it's about helping men to understand that all, cut through all the different messages they've gotten their whole life of what it means to be a man, the confusion around it, all the things they were told not to do. If you want to be a man, all the things you have to do, which are frankly killing men, killing relationships. I have a deep passion for men's work because I've been doing mine the last 10 or 11 years and I've decided to bring it into my business. So those two things, 12 months from now, when those two things are thriving and I'm helping business owners just live richer lives and richer in the broadest sense possible and men coming alive and being better fathers, better husbands, better friends, my heart will be full. That's my giver's heart. Beautiful. Well, that may be my, you may be my first guest on my next podcast, which is called my best investment ever. <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> so well, then you're going to, if you do that though, Andrew, you know, you're going to have to call yourself the best podcast host. Oh man. Are you ready now, to do now that? Now it's going to get, now it's <laughs> and then I'm going to have all kinds of challengers. Unlike being the worst podcast host, you'd get simply, <laughs> there are no challengers to the title. Uh, it's just, so, right. it's so the comfortable. bar is low. It's so comfortable. All right. Listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, to reduce risk in your life. So go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and download the risk reduction checklist and see how you measure up. As we conclude, Jeff, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, I do. I haven't said this phrase, but it's, it ties to everything we've said. Just remember this, that great discomfort always precedes great outcomes. So get ready to get uncomfortable. Wow. Love it. Love it. So you can look at, ladies and gentlemen, look at the discomfort that you've faced throughout this last 12 months or so and use it to make great change. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.